not only America, but you look back at Europe and Africa and you understand the, the, the nature and interactions between people, you're really able to kind of broaden your sense, broaden your view, um, and help. it helps you to understand other people's perspectives. I think that's a huge thing, you know, because you're not tied to your own. You can see someone who came from a different background, mm-hmm. maybe some of the influences that might have affected them. It helps you it helps you empathize. And I think that's super important as well. Ever heard of a podcast where one of the hosts has no idea what's going on? Well, now you have. Welcome to Unprompted, the show where one of the hosts shows up completely unaware of the conversation topic for the episode. From technology to society to history, life, and more, each episode features a unique topic and the hosts unravel the details together using nothing but their background knowledge and past experiences. Hosted by Luke Bogus and Jared Arts, we hope you enjoy today's unprompted conversation. All right. Good morning, Luke. Good morning, Mr. Jared. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty pretty well. Things are busy, but um, things are good. Yeah. I, uh, I'm curious how this conversation will go. I'm uh, one coffee deep, and I'm very, <laughs> very unprompted to what we're about to talk about. So, Well, in a lot of ways, Luke... I'm also unprompted uh, because I did pretty minimal research uh, for the the topic today. So uh, it might be uh, just two two guys, the blind leading the blind, yes. and uh, we'll see where things go. But uh, are you ready? Let's just jump in. Okay. So I am basing this conversation off of a book that I read a couple years ago, um, and that book is uh, 1491 by mm-hmm. Charles C. Mann. I don't know. I've never, never heard, heard of the it. book, never heard of the author. Okay. Well, I've definitely told you about it before. So I okay. guess that shows <laughs> how much you, uh, you remember my, retain much. <laughs> my, uh, my, my uh, comments. So the book is about pre-Columbian Native American societies. Mm-hmm. So um, Native Americans, um, Indians is a term that is, is used, uh, is actually the term that uh, man uses throughout the book. Um, so I guess I just want to start it off before we go into any depth. What do you know <laughs> about pre-Columbian Native American civilizations? What is your constructed view of these those people? You know, Jared, I think one of my favorite things about... <laughs> Our friendship is that I know nothing about history, <laughs> quite literally, absolutely nothing. Okay. And so every single time you mention anything, you could, you could probably tell me the facts about the Cold War or World <laughs> War II, things that I that should just be common knowledge, and it would just be mind blowing to me because okay. I just never resonate with history in, mm-hmm. you know, secondary education. I uh, so. My worldview is just blank. I, <laughs> I unfortunately know absolutely nothing about any of this. So this, this will be a very good questioning podcast. Let's just say that. So I guess you don't even have a Hollywood view, a, a view. I have a view of Indians, I guess. Okay, so what, tell me what that view is. The view. Like whether, whether it's, uh, it's probably wrong. <laughs> I'll just let you know. But I just want to start with your view, which might be similar to a lot of people who don't have historical mm. context mm. because you, you learn it from, you know, maybe you learn it from school, which teaches it in a weird way, or you learn it from Hollywood primarily, mm-hmm. or just, you know, cultural tropes, which may be inaccurate. 
Um, so I just want to start kind of with that baseline. And even if you feel like, oh, geez, I don't know anything and this is probably completely wrong, that's exactly the point. So mm-hmm. I just I just want to start with anything. Wow. I know you say it's a blank slate. Wow. That's also well, a lie. That, uh, that is true. I guess just general, yeah, when I think of um, very, very Hollywood, very much uh, minimal clothing, Shooting bow and arrows at some buffalo, using every part of the buffalo for making bowls out of bones and making food out of their meat and, <laughs> you know, clothes out of their everything. Like, buffalo, basically, my understanding of all of this, it's very, like, middle school of just, like, if it weren't for the buffalo, they wouldn't be around. Like, okay. everything was about the buffalo. That's, okay. <laughs> that's, that's unfortunately... <laughs> That is the tip of my knowledge. <laughs> so you have a you have a very plains Indian yes, view of things. Yes. So growing up in Nebraska, understanding just the people in where they were in our area is about mm-hmm. the extent of yeah. my my knowledge. <laughs> so okay. So I think that's pretty common where you have knowledge of the Native American cultures essentially in Nebraska. Yes. Starting from about seventeen hundred. Because I don't know if you're aware of this, but before about 1600 AD, there were no horses here. Wow. So the Plains Indians, the way that you see them, are a product of European imperialism. Mm. Of the horses that the Spanish brought over during their conquest in Mexico that escaped. And then breeded the wild Broncos, which are now present in the southern United States Plains. So that's fast. This what's the year of this book? So this book is 1491, One. which is the year before yep. Columbus discovered America. So this book okay. discusses Native American societies before any European influence and that what we know about them. And so it's very different than what you might have in your mind of Native American societies. Things like the tomahawk and mm-hmm. other mm-hmm. a lot of this was born from European influence. Um, and so the way that we look at European societies is, or sorry, Native American societies is often through the lens of European influence. And so it's interesting to kind of deconstruct that. For example, I'd like to uh, bring up the point of you, you, the Plains Indians. A lot of people were from Nebraska. You do units of Nebraska history um, in middle school where you learn about the Plains Indians. And uh, before they had horses, Luke, just guess, how do you think they would have hunted buffalo? Lots of running. <laughs> really fast running. <laughs> yeah, so there were two um, primary ways, and there were, of course, many different ways. Um, these are really um, ingenious people. One way was to run them off a cliff, literally. Oh, wow. You, they would direct, and they still did this even when they had horses, they would identify a cliff, and so there's multiple cliffs in Nebraska, actually, where you can go mm. that served as these types of areas. Because in the Great Plains, there aren't that many cliffs. <laughs> but they would essentially direct these herds of buffalo, get them to stampede off a cliff, and then they would harvest the wow. buffalo meat at the bottom. Wow. Another way was they would dress up like wolves. Wow. <laughs> because wolves were not really a natural predator of buffalo. Buffalo were so big. I mean, the wolf wasn't really going to attack them. Maybe they would attack a baby or something, but they weren't really scared of them. But they were scared of people. So if the hunters dressed as in wolf skins, 
they were able to get really close and actually um, hunt those buffalo. But typically the stampedes off cliffs was a pretty common way to do a mass hunt and then preserve that food. So that's just an example of, you know, you have this idea of horses and, um, you know, riding the horses, which they became expert horsemen. Mm -hmm. But in reality, traditional, very traditional Native American culture, there was no horse. And the way that they hunted buffalo, which were very important here in this area, was completely different than what it is, what it might be in your mind. Wow. So I'm going to, this is, I think, what's really interesting about this unprompted podcast is that I'm just going to be as open as possible in the sense that I just quite literally will ask some very dumb questions. But I think that's Mm -hmm. what's exciting about this podcast is hopefully it's okay to ask these dumb questions. But how do they get horses? Like, 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 European influence, sure. But, like, when I think of, like, Native American, even today, I mean, obviously, like, today there's tons of influence and obviously they're Mm -hmm. very minimized from what they were but like you know i always think of it as just like they're like very different and like they're very rooted in their culture very rooted in Mm -hmm. like the way things were and so it's interesting to me that like there was influence i guess back then and Mm -hmm. so is it was influence like when people came from europe was it like a gift to you a horse and then just like that just how it started or like Mm -hmm. where like how, like, how was their influence in the first place when, especially, like, they were just like, who are you? Like, we don't want you here. Yeah. So, well, I think that that's a huge topic. I'm like, well, how did they get horses? I guess uh, most of the horses in the plains were, were wild horses mm. that the Native Americans, like, tamed. Because the Europeans didn't really reach into the Midwest or, or the Great Plains area, I guess, until later on. And their influence there was really minimal in a direct way. But you saw, I guess we should we should roll the clock back. Okay. <laughs> that sometimes it's, it's good to roll back to the very start. You know, Christopher Columbus. Do you know where he landed? <laughs> <laughs> I know he sailed the ocean blue in 1492. That's about it. Um, so Christopher Columbus landed um, in the West Indies. Mm. So in in the Gulf of Mexico area. I, in, it was in uh, Haiti, uh, I believe. The, what is now Haiti and uh, uh, Saint, Domin- oh, Saint Dominique is, was the French colony. Anyway, uh, he landed there. He didn't land in, like, America, I mm. guess. He landed there and thought it was India, thought it was oh. Asia. He <laughs> was convinced to his death that he did not discover a new continent. Wow. Even, like, he can, he was very convinced. Like, this was his... So, Christopher Columbus... Here's another interesting trope. Christopher Columbus didn't... People say that he discovered the world was round. That's just BS. Wow. Everyone knew the world was round. And people thought he was crazy because he thought the world was small. Oh. He thought the world was so small that you could sail to Asia. Traditional scientific thought during his time was that the world was about the size that it is. Because a Greek in, a, in like 300 BC in Alexandria, Egypt, had measured the size of the earth using the angle of the sun in different cities. Huh. So um, they knew the earth was round and they knew it was big. And so everyone thought that there was just this giant ocean that you couldn't get to Asia. It's like mm. too far. And so um, eventually uh, they realized it was a different uh, continent and they established... Uh, a colony on what is now Haiti. Um, and I think it was the Tanito people that lived there. And in essentially the 
Christopher Columbus, along with the Spanish, kind of genocided them. Wow. Very, very hard. Like, along, of course, disease was a factor, but they also ver- treated them very cruel, mm-hmm. cruelly um, and killed, like, 99% of the population. Wow. And so that the, the people, the indigenous people of that island are essentially gone due to that, the Spanish influence. The Spanish then um, pushed off of that island and started exploring the kind of Central Americas, the um, Mexico and then uh, Panama Yucatan Peninsula, which is where, like, the Aztecs, if you know anything mm. about the Aztecs are, mm. in the Mayans were. Mm-hmm. And what's an interesting fact um, is that, so, have you ever heard of the city Tenochtitlan? No. Okay. <laughs> Mexico City. Oh. Okay. Mm-hmm. This was the Aztec capital, which, when we say Aztecs, it's actually was technically called the Triple Alliance. The Aztecs mm-hmm. were just one member of this kind of alliance empire, so to speak, is a very complicated political system. But Tenochtitlan was the largest city in the world at the time. Hmm. It had about 500,000 people. And so perhaps a city in China might have been similar in size, but it was a city in, in the Americas. It was a Native American city, which was bigger than London, Paris, Rome. Wow. And had more wealth than all of those cities. The Spanish, when they reached, when they got to the Americas, were just dumbfounded by the amount of wealth that was present in the Central American um, empires, essentially, and the amount of power that they had. And so they went there, and we will probably come back to this, but we're, we're focused on horses right now, if we might have forgotten. <laughs> yeah, to say. And I'm just, I'm so deep into, like, I, this is all brand new knowledge, so. <laughs> so the... the the horses were like essential to the um, the Spaniards' conquests. Essentially, they were like super powerful. Mm-hmm. Like the Native Americans didn't have any large domesticated animals, especially in this region. Down in Peru, they had alpacas and llamas, but they weren't anywhere near as large as horses. Mm-hmm. And so these were very imposing animals, um, and they were. It was clear the Native Americans saw the benefits of them. And of course, some of the horses eventually got away started breeding, and it was kind of this diffusion of up into the plains where society saw these horses, saw how they were used by the Spanish, then people started to, were able to domesticate them, and it just kind of spread because the horses were so, they were already domesticated, essentially. They were wild, but they were domesticated as well, so they were easier to train, and it just bled. So it wasn't like someone came up to the Omaha tribe, mm-hmm. And said, here's a horse. Congratulations. <laughs> it was like they were introduced to it by other Native American tribes. Mm. Um, and so the, it was just kind of this idea of this the technology bleeding up throughout the United States. Similar to how farming bled from the Middle East throughout all of Eurasia and, and parts of Africa. Um, which didn't discover it independently. Uh, and so... I think you asked that question, you know, how did the, how did that influence get there? Well, in the Great Plains, a lot of that European influence that we see was very indirect. Mm-hmm. And now it's also to note that, like, initially, a, a lot of Native American cultures, this is discussed in the book, you know, they weren't like these, Euro- the get out, you know, that's one of the, that was one of the downfalls, you know, they, they could have, at any point, the Aztecs were, the Aztec Empire, or the Triple Alliance, more accurately, was far more powerful mm-hmm. than the, the, the literal 
few hundred Spanish troops that toppled the entire empire. Wow. But it was because of their openness that ended up allowing the Spanish to kind of take advantage of them and end up toppling these empires. So I guess there's a lot of perhaps new information there. Do you wow. have any, any thoughts? All new information. That's <laughs> fascinating. The book, is the book like... It's all 1491, obviously, from the title. But, like, does it at all explore the notion of people intruding on their land? Or is it purely, like, day in the life of <laughs> what it was like before European influence? Yeah, it, it talks about it talks about the some of the initial European exploration. Because all, almost all of our records on these early Nat- or Native American societies are from early European explorers. Uh, there are first-hand sources. Uh, we're starting to get a better understanding of kind of the Mayan hieroglyphs that they used. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are kind of codacs and different rough sources that were used, but nothing as full, I guess, nothing as um, history-focused as what the kind of some of the first Spanish chroniclers used. Of course, we have to take that through a grain of salt mm-hmm. because of the the perspective that these Spanish priests had, but um, they do discuss some of the initial um, influence that happened, some of what they discovered. The same author, Charles C. Mann, has a book called 1493, which discusses a lot more of what you might be discussing, of how that um, discovery of the Americas changed the Americas, but more importantly changed the entire world. Um, and so, yeah, the book is mostly focused on just like, hey, here's what you might have been taught in school, and here's the kind of the new archaeology that's been coming out over the last few decades that is kind of expanding our view of pre-Columbian Native American societies. I think that one thing that's interesting is, um, I think I these figures might be slightly off, but he mentions in the book how traditionally, or like 100 years ago or 50 years ago, the estimates for the number of Native Americans that lived in the Americas was like, before Columbus came, was like a few million, five million, very sparsely populated. Mm-hmm. You know, now those figures are being revised up to 20 million to 100 million people into wow. much more densely populated places, even in like the, the Northeast United States, um, not just Central Mexico, which was always known to be an extremely dense, mm-hmm. um, densely populated area. And so... I think that it's just kind of the book is really focused around kind of changing the way we view pre-Columbian Native Native American societies from this very Eurocentric focus that a lot of people have, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, you know, Europe was super powerful and super technologically advanced and came in and took them all over, and there were like a few Indians on horses killing mm-hmm. buffalo, and you know, we civilized them mm-hmm. to the real fact of like. There is really large existing empires and societies, complex societies that were very technologically advanced in their own right, that were in some ways dismantled, toppled, and then you know forever changed mm-hmm. by um, by this by the imperialism that happened uh, by the Europeans, um, and you know largely also due to disease. But yeah, that's that's fascinating because. It's just, it's so interesting how, like, you know, obviously my interest in history in, in high school was pretty low. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But in general, it's like, you know, when we think about history, at least when I think about history, it's very much like it starts when Columbus came here. That's that's the way I think about history. Like, yeah, sure, there's a lot of stuff that happened. Like, you know, whether or not you're religious, so all that stuff. But then, like, there's just, like, a huge block. And then it's just, like, boom, here's Christopher Columbus. <laughs> then, boom, British Empire. And yeah. then, boom, like, obviously. America. Yeah, pretty much, right? <laughs> that's, like, my novice view. And obviously, there's, like, the Roman Empire and just tons of, like, other stuff. But, like, when I think about history, it's fascinating because it's just, like, yeah, sure, there's, like, all the Julius Caesar and all that jazz. But, like... In my mind, it starts when Columbus came here. And I mm-hmm. think of this guy, this person, as just like this very noble human that just, mm-hmm. like, made the world what it is today. But sounds like an asshole. Yeah. Came here and just killed a bunch of people. <laughs> was like, hey, this is mine now. That, like, mm-hmm. that sucks. Yeah, I think that, yeah, Christopher Columbus has, I mean, I don't know if you've noticed, he's kind of been going through, like, a reckoning, as a lot of historical figures have, mm. of where people are realizing, like, yeah, he wasn't this noble guy. He wasn't even particularly a smart guy in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, he was just the guy. He was the guy, yeah. And so I think that it's important, uh, and Mann talks about this in, in 1493, that you, know, you recognize for what he did, you know, he changed the world. You know, he, he did by, by discovering America and making an implant. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he also did a lot of bad things. I mean, destroyed cultures. And some of that was inadvertent. You know, I think that, Something that's important to note is, you know, smallpox, the disease. Yeah. Very bad. It was eradicated in the 70s. Uh, are you aware of how bad it was for the Native Americans? No. So the Native Americans had no, no exposure to smallpox sure. whatsoever. And uh, so it had a death rate of about like 90, 95% mm. if, if they got it. And this, it ravaged through... Central American cultures. It ravaged through northeastern United States wow. and up by New York. And it just decimated isn't a word that works because decimated implies 10%. I mean, it destroyed societies. Wow. Um, and there are a lot of uh, codex and early descriptions on just how bad it was. Um, and that's one of the major reasons that these Native American societies had a difficult time fighting Spanish when the Spanish came and conquered them is I mean, they were just essentially mostly dying. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were, they were, their entire cities were falling apart. Um, their agricultural systems were breaking down. Uh, and this was seen as like, uh, like proof that the Christian God was more powerful than the native gods. Mm-hmm. There was a, a one, a particularly interesting, uh, conversation that, uh, man cites between the Catholic priests and the Aztec priests after the fall of the Aztec Empire. Mm-hmm. And essentially the, the Catholic priests are trying are doing a theological debate with the Aztecs, which is super interesting that you think about. They were just doing debates because that's what they actually did mm-hmm. oftentimes back then to convince them to convert to Christianity. Um, this was kind of before a lot of the forced uh, conversion happened. And the Aztecs were like, you know, we don't want to really convert or whatever. And the Catholic priests or the, the Spanish priests were just, just like, look, all of your people died, and we won. <laughs> Clearly, like, the Christian God is more powerful. And the Aztecs were kind of like, you know what? You're right. Wow. <laughs> and so that was one of the ways that the initial, some of the initial mass conversions happened. Of course, um, the conversions kept going in, and the Spanish eventually became very, um, changed their tact mm-hmm. and forced a lot of people to convert. Uh, 
but it's just interesting to see like how things like disease introduce in some ways inadvertently introduced uh but completely contributed to that collapse you know it wasn't like the spanish were not this technological might that mm-hmm. was able to just conquer the you know the aztecs or the 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 uh, incans which is another fascinating civilization just by their technology it was there were a lot of other factors in play that they didn't really have to didn't have control over necessarily but yeah wow so your knowledge of history why like like what what makes you so fascinated with history do you do you enjoy the notion of like seeing how it influenced the way we live now or do you just like purely enjoy the idea of just diving deep and just understanding how things work cuz for the record when you know Jared and I hang out quite a bit and I'll come into his his room here in our our dorm on campus and he's just watching these very you know like 1300s 1200s like just like di- deep dive into certain civilizations and it's just always just so fascinating and i mean like obviously everyone has their hobbies and interests yeah. but like for you is it is it for the enjoyment of being able to have these conversations or is it for the enjoyment of seeing like how we live today and how it was in i guess like like why i mean it's all of the above i think that primarily it's like and pretty i'm very interested in just the concept of like humanity mm-hmm. like like you said for you at least history started in 1492 more accurately history started in 1776 i would mm-hmm. say mm-hmm. you know like you probably and anything before that my girlfriend's kind of the same way is ancient history is so long ago yes. it's just like essentially doesn't exist <laughs> but it like it isn't yeah you know like, for example, Prince Philip died just last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Prince Philip, uh, Queen Elizabeth II's husband. You know, he was alive and he was an adult when a significant portion of the world was under British colonial rule. Mm. Like, a majority of Africa. He was alive when India was a colony. And so a lot of these, like, oh, we say, oh, you know, this is old. I mean, it's not. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it reach, history reaches into the modern era. But furthermore, it's just, like, so interesting to think how normal history was. To think about how, you know, these Native, the Aztecs, the Incans, just lived in big cities. They all had jobs. They had systems of government that were extremely complicated. They had advanced technology, art. And it's just, like, it's interesting to humanize the history mm-hmm. and understand how you know people <laughs> people back then felt essentially like people do today one of the most interesting things is herodotus which herodotus is the father of history is okay. in western history he was a greek historian quote unquote uh his <laughs> his history he was the first one to kind of try to write history and he went all over the greek world you know the middle east and egypt and you know, in the Greek city-states, and he went to Egypt. And this was in, like, you know, 500, 400 B.C. So, to you, a long time ago. Mm-hmm. He went to Egypt, and he said, what are these pyramids for? And the people in Egypt, like, couldn't tell him. Wow. Because the pyramids were built, like, 2,000 years before then. <laughs> so, if you think about it, when you think about the Romans, and you think about the Egyptians, mm-hmm. how far apart do those feel to you? Do they feel like they're like equally the same? Yeah, I'll say it's it's a pool of a long time ago. Yeah, a pool of a long time ago. 
the Egyptian, the old dynasties, the ones who built the, the great pyramids, mm-hmm. were as ancient to the Romans as the Romans are to us. Wow. That's cool. And they, they knew that. They were aware that people had been living, you know, thousands and thousands of years before them. And a lot of times people get this notion that, oh, history is just old. Oh, it's not. There's this scale that's incredibly crazy to understand. Mm-hmm. It, it puts everything into context. Like, you know, all of the technological development that has happened in our lifetime has happened, like, in a lifetime. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's just, like, mind-boggling to be able to look back at, you know, the age of things and how, how things happened and just the, the craziness of it all. And just, and I, I mean, like, I take this, uh, this example of pre-Columbian Native American civilizations because it's just, like, it, it's crazy to think how advanced they were. And how you just lose sight of it. Mm-hmm. You just, it's just, in all reality, it's not that important to many people. It doesn't need to be. It's not important for modern life, but it just puts things into context, I think. And that's the mm-hmm. most interesting thing about history is putting things into context. Realizing what's normal, what's not normal, um, what's just how interesting some things are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's just absolutely insane. And you're right. It's like, and even then, it's just like, well, history starts in my mind, like when Columbus came here. But at that point, it's just like, okay, well then, really old is like 100, 200 AD. Yeah. But then there's thousands of years and so much mm-hmm. that goes, you know, so it's like, yeah, it's just crazy the influence. And you're right. It's just like, it's unfortunate. And I'm candidly, unfortunately, one of those people. It's just like, it's not that it's not interesting to me. It's just I don't seek it out because I don't see the why, mm-hmm. which there is so much why. But, like, I feel like our generation, and, and I don't know, maybe maybe it's a generation thing. Maybe, like you said, maybe it's just this is the way it's always been. Mm-hmm. And, you know, back a thousand years ago, people thought a thousand years prior was ancient. But mm-hmm. it's just, like, I feel like me, and maybe I don't want to wrap up the entire generation, but we're very, like, forward and futuristic thinking almost to a fault. It's, like, yes, like, I, like, I don't know. It's just, like, there's, like, no reason to think about the past type mm-hmm. mentality. Like, the past is the past. It is whatever. Obviously, influenced now. But like, we want to just like take the now and understand how it impacts the future. And so, mm-hmm. like, it, part of our calculus and understanding the future, part of my calculus and understanding the future, is not. I don't know. It's just like really honing on the present and not necessarily focusing on the past. And by the past, I mean like, I, like five years ago, obviously. <laughs> but like the past of like a thousand years ago, it's just like how is this. How can this help me in my future? Which is a terrible way to think because it's just like, mm-hmm. how, did, how does it help me become a better friend, a better person, whatever, better mm-hmm. uh, whatever. And so it's very interesting. It's like I haven't had a concrete reason to, to like be like, I need to know history because X. That's kind of also the purpose of history. It's like you don't need you don't need to have like a distinct reason. It's like it influences today. It's fascinating. Just like with all things, like our very first uh, episode about generals mm-hmm. versus specialists. It's like if you can – you know, build up your plane of knowledge to have more areas to think about and like more areas to pull from. Like you're just a better person in of itself. If you want to be a dominant, like, you know, I'm going to be a program manager and you're going to be a software engineer. I mean, there's two ways to think about it. And this is the premise of the first episode was you either become just a baller at being a software engineer and learn everything software engineering, or you become, and that's being a specialist or you become a generalist and start to understand many different industries, many different ideas and knowledge. Same thing with life. It's like, if you want to become a better person, sure, you can focus on you know, all these other things. Or you could even 
understand this entire new plan of knowledge of just like how the, the past and how history is like influenced mm-hmm. where we are today. And I think that's, that's something that I've like never unfortunately capitalized on, but, mm-hmm. uh, this, this, this conversation is fascinating to me. Cause it's like, wow. Like I, I think I can at least shoot the shit with history stuff, but no, no, I can't, <laughs> I can't even attempt. So yeah. all this is just so interesting to me so far. Yeah. I think what you, I think you, I think it's just like one other th- interesting thing about history. And I kind of mentioned this earlier. It's just like people have just kind of always been the same. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so interesting when you get into it. And you know, one example I'd like to bring up is just like, there's this concept of nowadays of like memeing mm-hmm. as like this modern concept and like, you know, I like shit posting yeah. or something. And when you look back at history, it's funny because that's just not the case. Like, you can go into recent history. Um, there were memes during World War II where the Allies, oh God, I forgot the name. Um, they drew this, this figure, just like a guy with a giant nose looking over a wall. Everywhere they went, mm. the Allied soldiers did. I, f- I wish I could remember the name of him, but it was a very, and it like scared Hitler. He was like <laughs> freaking out about this because he was like a spy, essentially, was what mm. the, the meme was. And they drew it all over Europe. And it's, and it, and they thought it was the funniest thing ever because they were tricking um, the Nazis into believing that there was the spy that was infiltrating all these places. And uh, it was just this, it's just this fascinating meme. You go back further, um, I, I was talking to my girlfriend about um, Roman um, fast food restaurants, essentially. Mm. And on the walls of a lot of them, especially in Pompeii, where we have a very well uh, con- uh, preserved uh, buildings, people would write messages on the walls of these, some of these places. And there's this one dialogue between these two, like, mortal enemies. I'd reference uh, uh, Tasting History uh, as a YouTube channel. This is where I got this information. Uh, their episode about Roman muscles, just in case you want to go watch it. <laughs> um, but th- it's this dialogue between these two mortal enemies where it's, like, talking about how they, this one guy wants to, this one guy wants to get this girl, but she keeps rejecting him, and then the other guy, like, shoots back, and it's like this... It's essentially like this one guy walked to a bar, wrote a shit post, and the other one replied to it. And then they were like having this rap battle on the walls of this wow. this uh, restaurant. And it's just like people have always been so crazy. And mm-hmm. people have always been like funny. And, you know, you think about history. You think about just these like stand-up guys in powdered wigs. Like yep. writing the Constitution. I mean, they were pranksters. I mean, everyone throughout <laughs> history. That, I mean, they were pranksters in their own right. And so we think about like this idea of comedy and funny as being modern. And it's just not. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's that's another interesting thing about history. You know, very detached from the original topic, but like it's just it's just fun that to like is. see that history was the same as it is now. Yeah, and it's interesting because it's like you know, whenever whenever there's a huge like finding, like, you know, I mean we always randomly see news articles of like, oh, uncovering this new blank or we're starting to understand this language more or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like we take it so seriously, like we find this like this verbiage or we find like this like wall of higher you know glyphs or whatever it's just like oh my gosh like this is this is great this is excellent but then it makes you wonder it's like 150 300 500 years from now and people look back at our content well first off content's way more like readily available and there's gonna be more viewpoints but it's just like are they gonna take a lot of the things that we do and say like seriously like Mm -hmm. yeah it's just like we think comedy is like this brand new thing, but it makes you wonder, like you look back at like maybe content from like the, you know, a thousand or 1400s or whatever. It's like, 
we take it all so seriously. Should we? Like, yeah. <laughs> I think that that's interesting because a lot of our content now, there's a very strong ear of sarcasm to it. Mm-hmm. All throughout our online memes and posts. And so you could easily see in a thousand years archaeologists taking content seriously that mm-hmm. we post. You know, there's, there's funny things that we always talk about in archaeology. You always look at like idols, they're like little figurines. And almost all the time, archaeologists are like, idol, religion. Mm. And so it's like, and a lot of times that's true. Your religion had a lot stronger influence in, in the past from what we know. But it's also like, maybe they just liked them. <laughs> maybe like that's never an explanation. There's never a historical explanation that was just like, they just thought it was funny or they just thought it was cool. Mm-hmm. And so if we look a thousand years in the future, they might look at all these memes and be like, what was the religious significance yeah. <laughs> of the Kermit the Frog? Yes. <laughs> and it's just like they will rack their brains trying to figure it out. And the reality is we just thought it was funny. And honestly, a lot of times in history, that's probably the answer that very few historians and archaeologists are willing to ever say. Hmm. It's just not very academic. But a lot of times it's probably true. You know, Why did Romans paint chickens on the walls of their restaurants? Because they liked it. Maybe it was advertising. Maybe it was... Related to what food they were serving, probably. Probably also just they liked it. Just mm-hmm. looked cool. And so uh, I think that's just, yeah, just an interesting way of looking at things. But. Yeah. Well, like I said, I think uh, this has shown me that there's a lot more a lot more history that I, uh, I don't know. And it's not even in a sense that, like, it's okay for me not to know. I feel like there's some basic things that I should probably understand. <laughs> and, and, I think and, you, uh, should, you should. I uh, learned the most history I ever learned was watching Hamilton. I learned so much about how... I mean, obviously, Lin-Manuel's a genius. And yeah. the matchfulness of... Yeah, yeah that, that's another conversation. But, like, the fact that it was just so earth-shattering to me. Like, wow, didn't know that that happened. Wow, never heard of... Who's this bird dude? Like, <laughs> the fact that this was all introduced to me for the first time. I mean, obviously, that's the purpose of the musical, which is why it's mm-hmm. brilliant. But it's like, wow. It's like, yeah. there's like, this is just for the founding of my nation that I live in. Mm-hmm. Try literally any other yeah. <laughs> nation or any other, like, empire or anything. Mm-hmm. Like, couldn't even, like. Like, you're probably not familiar with the Haitian Revolution. Never heard of it. Okay. <laughs> that might be a topic for another time. That's a very interesting uh, conversation. But, yeah, I agree. I think that there's. I, of course, as a history lover, think that there's a lot that people should know about history. Mm -hmm. I probably think that people should know more than they really need to. Um, But I think there are basic things about history. Like, you know, I think it's important to know, like, the time scale. You know, know that the Egyptians were at the same time as the Romans and Mm -hmm. were at the same time as the English Empire. Uh, Understand, you know, things like uh, different... What's the difference between the Chinese and the Indian empires as opposed to the Native American and the European and... um, Different things like that, I think, are just, like, pretty important to know. Uh, more so than things like, you know, what date was the Constitution signed or, sure. you know, when did Hannibal cross the Alps with elephants, uh, things like that, which Luke is shaking no. his head because he <laughs> clearly didn't learn anything about Hannibal. Nope. Uh, <laughs> didn't learn anything but about anything. It's kind of, I think, those overarching themes that I think are the most important about history, mm-hmm. of, like, learning about... You know, what influenced what. It, it really helps um, anchor a worldview. Because a lot of times we build our worldview on, especially I think us. I mean, we, um, if, you're, if you're a white guy from Nebraska, your history, your family history is like 
at the most 150 years old mm-hmm. when your family came over and settled here. You have poor context for so many world events based on that family history. And yeah. some people, it even goes 50 years back. I think when you look back at not only America, but you look back at Europe and Africa and you understand the, the, the nature and interactions between people, you're really able to kind of broaden your sense, broaden your view, um, and help. it helps you to understand other people's perspectives. I think that's a huge thing, you know, because you're not tied to your own. You can see someone who came from a different background, mm-hmm. maybe some of the influences that might have affected them. It helps you It helps you empathize, and I think that's super important as well. So, American history, lame? Like, do you, like, do you, like, purposely enjoy learning about everything, like, prior to, like... I do not have a deep love for American history. Mm-hmm. I don't hate it. I think that there's a lot of interesting points about American history. But American history is... Feels so recent? Yeah, American history is essentially the present. Mm. Like, American history is all in the modern era. And so I think that it's interesting. It has a lot of implications, obviously. And I enjoy learning about it. But it's not as interesting to me as ancient history because it's my country. Like, Mm -hmm. I grew up in it. And there's a lot of implications. But, like, it's not something super, super different, you know. And I'd like to look at things that, oh, you know, the the people that built Angkor Wat in, in Southeast Asia, what were they like? Because it seems like they would be so different. But it's interesting to learn how similar they might be. Whereas, like, when I learn, like, oh, you know, this diary from a soldier from the Civil War is written in a way that makes it seem like it's modern, doesn't surprise me. Because mm-hmm. it is modern. And so, um, I don't know, it's interesting. There's a lot of interesting things, but it's not as interesting as ancient history to me, personally, at least. Some people love it. And so maybe mm-hmm. you'd be a American historian. You know, maybe I would be. <laughs> well, I feel like this is a good place for me to start is uh, understanding a little bit more about 1491. And... I'd, I'd highly recommend the book. Both his books, I would say, are definitely worth the read. Uh, both to you, Luke, and the listener. If you want to borrow my copy, wow. I'd be more than happy to give it to you. <laughs> Noted. Um, and you can work your way through that. But, yeah, I think that even though we spent 90% of the podcast not talking about <laughs> Native American societies. I think it was still, I mean, I love talking about history anytime. So I think that will probably be a lot of future topics. And Yeah. Um, well, I'm excited to ask, continue to ask more questions when those topics come up. And hopefully if I can do a little bit more research, I mean, that's the purpose of being unprompted, but maybe I should just try to understand my timeline at least a little bit better. So I can I, provide I would, some input to the conversation. I would look at a timeline. Okay. I could help you draw one out. There we go. And just see the space. Uh, the space of human history. Mm-hmm. Also, just see like civilization as a whole. History as a whole is very short. Mm. You know, humans have been around a hundred thousand years. History's like six thousand years old at the at the at the best. Wow. So, very very short time span that we're looking at. Even so, it's not that much to tackle, Luke. It's only six thousand <laughs> years. Six thousand years. Yeah. Yes, of course. It's, it's not that much. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, I guess. We have our regularly scheduled segments at the end of our podcast, which are a rapid-fire question and a history fact. We will forego the history fact because the podcast was a history fact. Um, But I will ask you a rapid-fire question, Luke. Um, I'm going to take one second to think about it. If you could only drink one alcoholic drink for the rest of your life, Mm. what would it be? Mm. This is kind of a... 
way out, but I just, I really do enjoy craft beers. Okay. I mean, I obviously enjoy hard alcohols. I enjoy a good old-fashioned every once in a while. But, mm-hmm. yeah, just something about the the fun, exploratory nature of just, like, walking into a craft brewery or microbrewery and just being like, I, I kind of think I like this type of IPA, but let's just try it. And, like, an IPA from one of my favorite one in town here in Lincoln, Nebraska is Kincaider. Um, and it's, like, every single time, like, this on, on rotation, they have tons of different options. And, I mean, that's per any microbrewery. But, like... It's just always so exploratory. We're finding your palate. And there actually is a palate to beers, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. typically people say, just, like, tastes like trash or, like, ah, like, Bush Light's good enough for me. But it's, like, no. It's just, like, there is, like, a beauty with just, like, a lot of the the flavors and the notes and, like, um, the brewing process. It's very fascinating to me. So, um, craft brew for the taste, but also just for, like, the, the appreciation of the process. Um, it's very fun to chat about. Awesome. Well, I guess... Uh that's an interesting answer. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> You don't so, tend to agree? <laughs> I'm more of a wine guy myself. Okay. But okay. That, that can be a, another uh, another episode conversation. It might have so, to be. Luke, where can people reach you? People can reach me and reach Jared through me on, <laughs> on my Twitter, at uh, Luke Bogus, L-U-K-E-B-O-G-U-S. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're listening, if you happen to listen this far, first off, we love you. <laughs> Second, uh, feel free to reach out and tell us. Uh, yeah. That would definitely make our day. Any questions, feedback, uh, like always, especially in history episodes, I'm sure we'll get a lot of things wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I might sound super knowledgeable, but of course, you don't remember everything. And so I'd love being corrected as the best possible thing that you can be. So thank you everyone for listening. Uh, we're going to wrap it up now and uh, we will see you guys hopefully next week. But as has been seen, we uh, sometimes take longer than normal to, uh, to publish an episode. Yeah, pump for the next one. Thanks yeah. everyone. Thank you. Bye.